Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Ghana Yatanga Yuandi. We honour the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, on whose land the Art Gallery of South Australia stands. My name's Rana Devonport. I'm extremely fortunate to be director of the amazing Art Gallery of South Australia. And today I'm in the 2020 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art, Monster Theatres. Monster Theatres is, of course, closed to the public, but we are very open online and with various works, including Stellark's Reclining Stickman. And what I'm talking about today is a marvellous work by Judith Wright called Tales of Enchantment. I thought I'd just begin by explaining the experience of walking into the space. It's a large space and above there are a flock of eyes, winged, silver-winged eyes, imperceptibly moving in a very slight breeze. Below is this sea of hairs of wooden shoelace with eyes blinking, looking upwards and all directing towards a single young boy, an angel perhaps, who's dancing on a cloud, again with silver wings, looking up to the, to the eyes in the heavens. So this is an installation, a large installation, comprising literally hundreds of different sculptural uh, elements, mannequins, dolls, and tableaus. The work is arranged in four islands, these lovely anamorphic islands. So it's as if you're walking in an archipelago and you're, you have the magic power to walk on water. One of the other islands facing, I can see it's almost a duck creature with uh, the legs of a horse, again with wings. There's a fish, there's a dancing figure above. There's a cardinal, perhaps, uh, or a religious figure talking to a young naked baby with, again, an, an angel at his feet. Then there's a tree of life, uh, a large, larger-than-life form, which made of dark cutouts that with small creatures that could be echidnas, they could be fish, they are, in fact, the, the negative cutouts of, of many of the large timber shapes. In front of me is a, a macabre, possibly a Mexican skeleton, riding a Chinese child's hobby horse. And next to him is a fallen angel, a large, perhaps female figure, again with wings with the scale of justice nearing the ground. Many of the figures have masks. Judith is an amazing collector. She lives in a marvellous house, a multi-storied, very old, 100-year-old house in Brisbane. And in that house are many artefacts she's collected, uh, many masks and rugs and paintings and objects and dolls and mannequins. And she transfers between her daily life and her sculptural form. As we walk over one of the other islands, there's a very strange anamorphic face, almost like a child's drawing, again with wings, and below his face is a hand, with a hand emerging from a cloud below. Again, two child mannequins with a baby. One is black, one is white, and the baby is looking again to the heavens. There's another tree, and there's another tree on another island, but looking at uh, the trees, 
They are perhaps holding pendulous flowers, dark flowers uh, that in themselves have paintings, again, of angels and figures. There's a Medusa shape, uh, perhaps female, perhaps male, with snakes for hair. And there's a flying double-headed creature, again, with a baby, as if he's a stork with a baby in his beak. And in the final island, we can see a double-headed figure, perhaps Javanese masks. And there's uh, one of my favourite pieces is a pair of uh, mannequins' legs uh, emerging from the ground and from her toes are growing two tiny, beautiful trees. And next to that figure is a female mannequin in a black tutu with a baby swaddled around her neck. On the walls, right to the ceiling, are cutouts. There's bats, there's storks, there's snakes, there's dragons, there's three-headed flying creatures, and again, a tumbling of small cupids from the heavens. So where is this all coming from? Judith Wright is in her 70s, like two other artists in this exhibition, Stellark and Mike Parr. So she's been making work for many decades. She began her creative life not as an artist, but as a dancer, a classical dancer with the Australian Ballet. And there she performed on stage with Nureyev, and she was quite close with Graham Murphy, who of course formed Sydney Dance Company. As a dancer, she's very interested in the psychological relationship between bodies and space. And she has an innate sense of theatricality and staging, using props and lighting to a very clear and distinct end. I first met Judith in the 1980s. I was teaching art at the time, and I visited an exhibition up in Noosa or Tawantan in Queensland. And there was a marvelous work on the wall called Bones for Nicole. And that work was a series of uh, very beautiful dark paintings on rice paper, Japanese rice paper, and on each was a large cylindrical uh, structure that was piercing the paper onto the wall. And we had a long conversation and she told me that Nicole was her daughter who had died at childbirth when Judith was very young. She was uh, the daughter, her only daughter, and she then uh, had three sons, all of whom worked with Judith in various ways uh, to make her art. This idea of the loss of a child, of memory, and also of this transience between the living and the dead is something that informs all aspects of her work. Another piece she did in 2003 was a video, and uh, she works in video, she works in painting, sculpture and installation, and performance as well. When I first met her in the 80s, she was making marvellous large books that she would turn the page very slowly and theatrically. And often in those rooms, there was an object, maybe a musical instrument, maybe a child's toy that would set up a dialogue between the objects in the space. But coming back to One Dancers, it was a video shot by her son, Peter, uh, and featuring her son, Luke, who's an actor, as he dances very slowly with a very old wooden mannequin, an antique. 
and this image of a mannequin in a tender dance with a young man is very poignant. Could that mannequin be perhaps Nicole? So in uh, 2018, she created a large installation at the Queensland Art Gallery called In the Garden of Good and Evil. And this followed on with a lovely tableau called The Wake that she did as part of the Biennale of Sydney a couple of years earlier. And in recent years, these large installation tableaus have been a major feature of her work. But they didn't come out of the air. In fact, as most dancers, Judith needed to have her hips replaced. And before she did, uh, she was in a really difficult state of restricted movement. During this time, instead of working on her large uh, paintings, the acrylic and wax on Japanese paper, she started working in small bronze sculptures, these marvelous little, little ceramic, little clay sculptures that she, and plasticine sculptures that she would then have formed into bronze. When she had both her hips done, there was this tremendous lease of life. Uh, whenever I go to Brisbane, I always visit her studio and I've never met an artist that is so transformative in terms of her own practice. And in this case, it was um, soon after the operation, she was healthy, she was back on her feet, literally. And suddenly, the scale of those small sculptures had become larger forms. So she was making these uh, creatures, uh, the eyes, the mythological creatures. She's always been interested in myth and literature, and we'll come back to that in a moment. And suddenly, these large tableaus were appearing. She's always been a collector of antiques, as I mentioned before. And suddenly, these combinations of both the cutouts and the collections of marvellous objects that carry their own history came into life in a new way. She was breathing life into these objects. And then, of course, there was the cutouts. There was the negative spaces. And being thrifty, as, as many people are, uh, she then started using those cutouts, which were really intuitive, abstracted forms. And this is what, what uh, is creating many of the, the, the much more abstracted and uh, um, indistinct forms that uh, cascade across the, the walls. So as I said, in this space, there is dramatic light. It's a, it's a smooth, dark light across, and then there are small spotlights, 20 or 30 in the space, that create great moments of dramatic tension. In it, of course, this work references Plato's allegory of the cave, looking back to shadows and, and the, the fact that human form and the human mind is bound by one's own senses. So she creates these incredible maison scenes. She's always interested in Greek and Roman mythology and, um, and reads avidly. But I want to mention a couple of the references in particular. And moving back in time, uh, a marvellous 10th century poet called Izumi Shikibu. And Shikibu wrote maybe 1,400 poems that have, uh, are, are highly poetic and very allegorical. And there were two types of poems. There was the monologue poem and there was the dialogue poem. And in thinking about Judith's work, really it's those twins of the monologue speaking about her life 
and uh, her imaginative world, but also setting up this dialogue between objects and abstraction, between body and space, and between uh, the living and the dead. Also, she's interested in writers such as Bruno Schultz, Italo Calvino, and particularly Rainer Maria Rilke, and uh, his interest in building a bridge between the material and spiritual realms, and also his concerns about the figures in space. So Judith's work is one of singular urgency and generous disclosure. She's uh, not afraid to move into uncomfortable realms, the raw pain she still feels at the loss of her daughter so many years ago, and yet the, um, still pursuing the imprecise articulation of emotion, and in particular, human connection. There's always a sense, a constant state of nearness, an awareness of both the necessity and the imprecision of communication. There's a vulnerability, and yet there's a theatricality. She has said that she is interested in, and this is thinking back on her work as a dancer, she's interested in the body as a container, as some kind of signifier, Mortality is a strong element, but only as an observation about what it is to be in the world. And I think that's one of the great treasures and magical aspects about Judith's work, is that death is never far away, but it's always couched in a celebration of the living. She's also said that she's interested in the aesthetic and psychological imperative to pare away, to distill, to push everything as far as one can, to not compromise and to be whole and clear. In the second room are a suite of drawings and these are of human scale. And this is something that I thought was very interesting. I remember Agnes Martin always talking about how her paintings had to always be the scale that which she could work and when she couldn't work to that scale anymore, she would simply stop painting. For Judith, they're made up of two strips of this very beautiful Japanese mulberry paper, and, uh, and each is really the size of a human. So there are six paintings in the room. Again, the eye appears. Um, there is a horse, there is a, a young, uh, looks like a Pinocchio, a doll on a hobby horse. And painting is never far away from Judith's work. Occasionally she works on canvas, but really her great love is this uh, fragility and uh, transience of working on paper. So I hope you've enjoyed our little walk through this wonderland, uh, this psychological and sensual wonderland that is Tales of Enchantment. Judith's an artist that uh, is represented in most Australian galleries. She has travelled primarily to um, Japan, um, to India, to uh, Germany to produce projects and has collaborated with many artists over the years. She's an artist that um, in her 70s is at the very much the height of her powers. Thank you very much for listening.